Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. You've got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck finding a publisher, and more. Remember, it's discord.gg slash indie game business. All right. Hey, everyone. Thanks for coming to uh, my talk. Looking forward to, um, yeah, telling you guys about uh, my six lessons from the last six years of player-first community management. I'm the CEO of Gamerspeak. Um, Relatively new, we're six years old, hence the six lessons. Thought I'd keep it easy like that. But I'll be throwing in all sorts of tidbits and um, different things throughout. So yeah, um, hope you guys enjoy it. We'll be answering questions after, hang out on LinkedIn, whatever we wanna do. And um, thanks, for, thanks again for joining. So I'm gonna start out telling you guys my story of how I got started. It's kind of a fun story with a bunch of VIPs and a trip to Dubai. Let's see, here we go. Um, and it all started uh, with Game of War. So what happened was uh, in 2013, the game launched and pretty quickly uh, I downloaded the game. I was actually in Germany at the time and it turns out that in Germany, there's a lot less homework than there is in the US. So I had tons of free time and it's freezing outside. So, cause it was in winter. So I downloaded Game of War is on the top of the charts. Probably my like second mobile game aside from Angry Birds. Obviously two very different genres. Um, immediately got hooked on the game, Game of War, and um, started just like trying to compete, spending a couple hundred dollars, and uh, trying to rank up into different alliances throughout the kingdom. And I got into the, the second strongest one at the time. And Every time you log in, you can see these little gold gifts, um, alliance gifts, they're, they're these little gold chests. And what that means is that somebody, uh, when you are offline or online, um, if one of those pops up, they spend $100 in the game. And so I'd log in five, six times a day, and I would see 30 or 40 gold gifts show up each time I logged in, which, you know, each one is, uh, is $100. So that's three to $4,000 every time I logged in. And just in my alliance of 100 people, they were spending tens of thousands a week. And I was just, I couldn't believe it. I didn't think it was real until I started meeting some of these people who were in finance and real estate. Um, and then I found out that two of the guys were actually princes who lived in Jordan. And they're just these massive whales. And they were way stronger than everyone else. But the interesting thing was, is that none of them really knew how to play the game very well. And so we were actually losing about 10 people every week from our alliance. They would come in, they would spend like one to two, three thousand dollars They would get attacked one time and they would lose like $2,000 worth of spend all in troops. And then they would just quit the game. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy because like, I'm out here like trying to protect my investment of like five, $600 that I made in the last couple months. And these guys are just like 
dropping thousands. Um, and so, yeah, then I was like, wow, like this is actually pretty, uh, pretty bad for the publisher as well. I'm sure they want these guys to stay and like they're making really stupid mistakes. I think I can help them out. So, you know, I started the classic fan site and um, I started building relationships with these princes and these other VIPs across the kingdom and saying, hey, how can we win? How can we work together? And they were like, well, there's a pretty low chance that we're actually going to become number one because the other alliance in the kingdom that was the number one, they had one guy and that one guy had more power than all of our 100 people combined. His name was Card RX, and it was just, he was just on a whole nother level. It was ridiculous. So um, anyway, was, we tried hard nonetheless, and I, I went out and I created a whole bunch of guides for our alliance. I got into the community um, and was working with people and teaching people. And uh, let's see here. Yeah, after about six months, we had 80,000 users going through the site. It is just me creating content, doing interviews with whales really getting involved in the community, kind of becoming um, sort of an influencer, but not on any typical influencer platform, just creating a content on a website. Um, but what was really interesting um, and what I didn't happen was by doing all that, I made these really, uh, I got into the inner circles of these VIPs. And I found out that they were frequently talking about like, hey, we love this game. We really want to pay for things like this. We really don't want to pay for things like this. We don't mind spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, but I just we just want to send it on the right things. And the publisher wasn't always, you know, launching those things. They're often launching different things, and so it felt like the, the players were out of sync. Um, and so a lot of what what we do at Gamerspeak is bridging the gap of communication between the players and the publishers. And so when I found that out, and I said, okay, well, I have all these users. I'm going to reach out to Machine Zone and see if they want to work together and um, see if like, hey, I will relay this information to you guys, um, this detailed kind of authentic peer-to-peer -peer feedback that that doesn't typically go outside of these circles. Um, not revealing any private information, but just saying, hey, this is like the players don't think you're listening to this type of feedback. So like, let's let's communicate. And they're like, I don't know. At first, you know, we're making $5 million a day. I don't. I don't think we, uh, you know, we're good. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I understand. Uh, I'll just keep doing my thing over here. But but as I kept going, so a few weeks passed, and then what happened is this guy here in the top right in the red shirt, this is um, Stay Alive 77, who dominated the game for six months straight, um, easily spent millions, if not tens of millions of dollars on the game, uh, decided to have a retirement party. And, uh, you know, it was six months dominating he wanted to move on to other things and uh so he actually invited myself and three other guys out of the hundreds of people that i knew in the game on an all expenses uh paid trip to dubai and so this is like my glory story of like starting my business and i love it it's fantastic uh that's me on the left obviously and um that's the tallest building in the world we stayed in his apartment there and um yeah, and, and so it was really meaningful. I was like, wow, I didn't realize like my connection with him was so strong and he would choose me out of you know all the other people that I knew. So I sent these pictures to MZ and I said, no, look, I'm really on the inside. I, you know, I think I can really help you guys and keep this community rolling and, and help with like you know connecting you guys with the players. So they said, okay. And then I got started and that was the first deal. And um, ever since then, I've just been really specializing in... in um, yeah, connecting. So these are some of the games that we work with right now. Some of them are very big. I think one missing here is uh, the Seven Deadly Sins Grand Cross, which is doing great as well. And uh, I think the important part to my background uh, that I didn't really mention, but I've never come, I've never worked at a development studio. I've never worked at a publisher. And um, I feel like that's obviously, I'm gonna come from a very different angle. I'm just fully have been a player. Then I started this business. And so I'm kind of a former influencer as well. Um, I've mainly, my background is in like free to play, mid to hardcore game genres. Um, personally, I also love FPS though and track with those. And uh, I have all sorts of relationships with 
tons of VIPs across all these various games and um, the people who um, we hire, um, the people who are like me now in various games. And we work with them um, to create content and build community and relay feedback to the publisher. And so um, by extension, um, I'm very connected to the communities in a lot of games. And um, all right, so here we go. Point number one, the community management mindset. Uh, I think you can see just by the graphic kind of where I'm headed here, but Amazon's got this customer-centric mindset. I think that when you're developing, you should have a player-centric mindset, um, which is relatively obvious and straightforward, but let's talk about like the details of what that really means. And I'll start off with two more stories because uh, the stories are great and you'll remember them. Uh, these stories actually come from a friend of mine who works at a big AAA studio. I can't say which one. It's international. Um, they make a lot of great games. And he has these really cool stories of how Epic and Proletariat listened extremely well to their players and ended up making great games. And so um, the first one, let's talk about Epic. That game came out first. And my friend, he made it into the pre-alpha discord of the game. Um, but what happened was his friend said, hey, come play this game. It's called Fortnite. Um, you might have seen like the the zombie version of the game, um, but it's it's not that. They're actually working on a new battle royale that's like, you know, PUBG style. And it's like very different. And they're really listening to the players. You should come play the game. Um, but you should get like the the most expensive package because that's the only way that you can get access to the game. It's one hundred twenty five dollars, and you can buy the battle royale, which is hilarious. This is almost I don't know if there's a single battle royale that that's premium right now. But he was like, ah, oh, one hundred twenty five dollars is kind of steep. So then when it was on sale for eighty, he picked it up, uh, joined the Discord, and immediately was just immediately was just blown away. Uh, by the communication that was happening between the players and the publisher. Um, there was like so much engagement and there was so much um, ideas being thrown out. But the biggest thing was that like um, the developers were constantly implementing very quickly some of the feedback that the players had. And if you've ever played Fortnite, you can you know it's like almost like I'm pretty sure players came up with these ridiculous ideas like putting a golf cart in the game or a heat-seeking missile. And um, and so he was just like so excited about it. He's like, this game's going to be so big. Like um, all these pre-alpha players are just loving it and they're talking so much in the Discord and they're inviting their friends and such like that. And so he writes up a report and um, recommends to his boss that they buy the company early stage before the Battle Royale was big. And uh, his boss says, I don't know, you know, PUBG really is the only company that can make this genre work. I don't really think anybody else is going to do it. It's so new. It's risky. And so he's all bummed, but, you know, he doesn't know at the time what Fortnite's going to become. And so Fortnite blows up, and he's like, oh, my gosh, this would have been so crazy if we owned Epic. Who knows if it would have worked. But uh, they had the money, that's for sure. And then so then, like, a year later, Proletariat, comes around, you know, they want to make a game, um, a spell break, and they want it to, they want players to act like a badass battle mage is what the CEO says. And so then again, my buddy gets into uh, the pre-alpha discord and he sees the same type of environment of just like tons of engagement, tons of uh, player ideas being put into the game rapidly, even though the game was pretty janky. If you look at early YouTube videos from spell break, you'll be like, wow. That was what the original game looked like. Looks way better now. And um, and so he writes a report, uh, makes it better this time, makes some of the adjustments he think might convince his boss more, and submits it in. And his boss says, "The market's too saturated. Uh, these guys aren't going to get big. You know, they don't have enough money, and all these excuses." And so, unfortunately, he struck out twice. But hopefully, he doesn't strike out a third time. And my point with those stories is that I think community feedback can be a leading indicator for the success of your game. And so don't underestimate that pre-alpha stage and don't underestimate those early really engaged users and their excitement about the game. 
And if it's there, leverage it. Use my stories and talk to your investors and raise money. Okay. Um, also, I think that both of those games had like a very long pre-alpha phase where they were able to get the game to product market fit before really blowing it up. Um, so like, here's some questions to ask yourself. I'm gonna go over these rather quickly. Um, questions to ask yourself to, to see if you're having the right kind of player-centric mindset. Um, are your new developments making players more and more excited to play the game? More and more excited, not, not even, not wishy-washy, but more and more excited. Um, are you showing them empathy when they run into problems? A way that you can verify this is, are they like, overtly negative or are they like hey i'm under, you know i understand it was a problem thanks for fixing it i appreciate your response i think it's pretty easy to determine if your community is responding that way or not okay number three are you supporting uh content creators and allowing players to engage with your game um outside of playing it so um the reason is because I'll, although I, I totally understand that you want players players in your game like 100% of the day. It's unrealistic and you don't even play a game 100% of the time. But if you look at your own probably behavior, you'll see that when you're outside of the game, you're still trying to engage with that game in some capacity, whether it's on a Discord or on Twitch or on a Reddit and you're in these other communities and you want your game to stand out in those other communities as well and to support those so that when they're outside of the game, they are still in the ecosystem of your game. Lastly, uh, are you removing bad actors from your official communities? I think that um, for the most part, the overtly negative bad actors are easy to remove, um, but it can be difficult when there are um, manipulative players being good sometimes and bad other times and good sometimes and bad other times. And are they pushing your your, your most useful um, and valuable influencers out of your game and out of your community, excuse me. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that later. The pitfall here is waiting too long to find solutions to player complaints until you're desperately trying to prevent the loss of revenue. So there's a couple of different things that can be happening here um, where you will fall into this pitfall. You're either not listening altogether, which is rare, uh, you're listening, but you don't want to make a change. That's kind of frequent, and we'll talk more about how, how that um, becomes a reality. Or you're listening, but you don't know what to do. That's very difficult. You just, you know, you understand that there's an issue with the game or the way it works. You're not sure how to resolve it, whether that's technical or from a design perspective. Um, and in this case, I recommend enlisting um, some really smart players um, to help generate some idea flow onto how to solve that problem if it's like a design perspective. Um, okay, so as for not listening, but um, not wanting to make a change, here's like the most difficult situation where, where your data tells a different story than the community's feedback. And you think, well, um, I'm gonna trust my data because it's quantitative. Uh, the qualitative stuff is, is less trustworthy. All right, let's let's test out a little bit. Let's give an example. So here's a case where uh, I see this very regularly. Um, a game launches an event. Uh, the players don't like the event, and they're very clear about it, but they want the rewards, and they want to try it out, so they engage with it. And maybe it's more expensive, but they give it a shot anyway. Um, and they, they're very clear, we don't like this. Uh, we, we don't want to see it again, or we want it to change. But... You as a developer hears that and looks at your data and says, well, we see more engagement and we see more money being spent. Okay, well then uh, the event is run again and, and all of a sudden all your metrics are down and you still have even more negative sentiment and now you've lost trust and you've lost those KPIs have gone down. Um, and so um, my argument is that I think in a lot of cases, Feedback is a leading indicator of success of different elements of your game. And so trust it. And if it's like, if you have qualms with it, whether uh, you don't like it or your data says something different, don't minimize that player feedback, um, but dig in and try to figure out if there's any 
additional ways to make it a win-win solution where you can have some elements of the event that you like and still have um, and still make sure that your players you know like it as well and, and you're making money. So don't um, compromise too much. Try to get that win-win. Okay, so number two is communities don't build themselves and there's two really good ways to think about it. You have community by design and you have community by default. Um, so breaking these down, um, what I typically see is community by default where there's not enough planning in advance for how you're gonna support your community. Um, and you're just hoping, well, let's see if the game is a success first. Um, so I think that I understand that resources are limited early on, but you don't necessarily have to limit your planning early on. Um, I think that let's go over to community by design. Um, it's one that's planned. It's one that's nurtured. And there's three elements of nurturing. Uh, it's like a garden. You think of your community like a garden, and there's uh, there's there's three elements of it. You fertilize it in the beginning, uh, which means you have a plan right at launch of the measures you will take to support your influencers um, and your fan communities, whether that be beta programs, giveaways, um, whether that be uh, exposure as much as you can give to these early creators um, to encourage them to keep creating content, um, whether that be really valuable valuing their feedback like Epic and Proletariat did and putting things in the game and trying them out, even if you didn't think that they were as good of an idea or if you don't think that great of an idea. Um, and then, so that's kind of the, the beginning. Um, there's not too much effort there, although I, I beta programs they can be can get uh, a little bit difficult. Um, Gamerspeak can help with some of that. Uh, Take a look at our site and see what we do for betas. A second is water. Uh, so you want to water your community as your game matures and as you get more resources. Um, you should already have planned what you're going to do to water your community, but different elements of watering would be like uh, working with your influencers to create cornerstone guides for your game that are like unofficial, but you know, written by players and they're really authentic and they're really relatable. Um, you know, promoting videos and content that they create to the community, helping them grow their audience, helping them make a living and a lifestyle out of your game. Don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate the support that you can provide for free even to these people by giving them exposure and by boosting, you know, their ego um, and their, their awareness around the community. Um, but we will talk about which type of people you should promote a little bit later, though. That is very important. Um, and then the the second the second thing on watering is um, I'm gonna really harp on this throughout the presentation, but it, but building a crew of influencers, various different types, which we'll cover later, of influencers that will inform you on um, the various different player sets in your community and and help you with reactive feedback and proactive feedback. Um, this crew is so essential to ensuring uh, to reduce risk and ensure maximum. So the community by design um, with oh, it proves like a code of conduct and really, you know, either I've seen obviously we've all, all seen code of conduct not being enforced super well. It's difficult. It's time consuming. But if you want to nurture a community of um, really um, encouraging and positive play, uh, be uh, that crew. If somebody becomes toxic in your crew of influencers that you have, uh, you definitely want to prune those people out. Um, because, like, I think as a player, if I go into uh, an official community or even an unofficial one, and I really want to engage and find a place to be, find, like, I want to, I want to feel like I belong there. Um, there's, there's nothing worse than somebody who, like, treats me like a noob as soon as I come in, which I am, but hey, welcome me in, you know, I can learn. So I think if you don't do a lot of those things, you end up with a community by default, 
and you get, you know, they can often um, be negative, harmful, hostile to new players. Also, they can be disloyal. Um, and so disloyal here, I think I'll, do I have this story here? Oh, okay, I'll cover a, a disloyalty story later. But if you don't support your, your influencers or your fan communities well, then they will, might leap to other games as soon as there's sort of a better option out there because it's sad, it's unfortunate not to have a feel like you have a good relationship with the developers. If you do, it's a really encouraging thing. And it's something that I find to be rare um, with communities. So um, last thing on community by default is uh, I, I, I can't tell you how many times uh, I've talked to uh, potential clients and existing clients and they say, oh, we're ready for you to build us a community. And I'm like, great, when's the game launching? And they're like, next week. And I'm like, what? What's your community plans? Well, you're our community plans. I'm like, okay, great. Well, we've got a long way to go. <laughs> you know, we got, we should have more time to plan, but we're going to do our best with what we have. Um, so that's like kind of a community by default. That's one way. Another way is like they just wait until the game is the game going to be a success if you launch it and it has, and it does well. Okay, now let's start thinking about community. That's also uh, a failure of, of community by default. Don't do that. Plan ahead uh, as much as you can. So the pitfall here is not nurturing your community such that one day a Genshin Impact will come along and be the off-ramp for what you thought were your loyal players. Okay, here's the story I was looking for. This is it. Um, my example here is like we we know you know there's this, there's this game that was doing really well and so well that there were a few influencers that came out and in like two months they had hundreds of thousands of youtube subscribers which is incredible i've like almost never seen things like that happen and it was probably like three of them they got hundreds of thousands of new subs and they're just churning out content for the game and the game's great and it was it was really successful but um there was no established relationship between the publisher of that game and those influencers. And because of that, as soon as Genshin Impact came out, all three of them either started a new channel for Genshin Impact altogether, which is crazy, and didn't even go back to the game or just start making videos for Genshin Impact and ignored the other game altogether. So um, just like, I've not been in the position of a developer, but I would, if, if somebody even, if I was developing a game and somebody had 5,000 or 10,000 subs, I'd be like, how do I lock this guy in forever? Like, this is so important that, you know, this, like, obviously my players love it, love them if they're getting hundreds of thousands of views. I want to make sure that forever this guy is making content for my game. Um, okay, so uh, these are things that you can do to nurture your influencers. Um, Let's see, is there any we want to, a promotion, a really great example of promotion that I don't see a lot uh, that I wish I saw more was Summoner's War. When you load up the game, they have um, like a slider of all their influencers. And it's like, this streamer does this content and has this many viewers. And then the next, and it's like, this YouTuber has this many subs and does this type of content. Next, it's like, and it just goes like, there's like eight of them or something while the game's loading up. And I don't even, you know, typically engage with anything while a game's loading up. Um, they, and it's it's totally a good use of time and it's a good use of promoting those guys so that again, they can build a lifestyle on your game. It's free for you. Now, like something um, in here as far as promotion that is maybe more uh, controversial is like establishing a like actual uh, consulting contract or contract relationship um, to lock those influencers into your game uh, as long as you possibly can. Um, you know, based off some of the uh, examples I just gave you, um, you could realize how detrimental that is because when a YouTuber with 200,000 subs probably means it's getting, you know, maybe a million uniques uh, a month or something. 
people and they leave, then the players think, well, maybe I should leave. Maybe I should try this other game. And if the if the influencer never goes back, they're gonna think, why should I go back? This other one's better. So um, if you can lock those in and not not allow that to happen, that'd be fantastic. Some of the other things that you can enlist them on and, and pay them real money for, uh, in addition to real currency, uh, is uh, gathering feedback for you. Um, although often they do that on their own, but if there's like kind of an extensive way you want them to do that in terms of a big report or something, um, that's something to consider. If you want them to create like really thorough, unofficial or official guides, um, you know, my experience is that I've, I've seen publishers try to say, we'll give you 500 gems um, um, to whoever submits a good guide that meets these requirements. They just don't turn out well. It's just, I think, I think that real money is, is a huge differentiator. And if you can, um, you know, maybe pick the, the best of the people who, who will do it for in-game currency and then and pay them real money to do the rest, that's maybe a good idea. And then if somebody wants to be like, a, if somebody's willing to be a dedicated moderator for you and save your um, community manager or your team just hundreds and hundreds of hours, um, then I think that you should pay them because as soon as you lose that moderator, you're going to be sad. And uh, it's going to be hard to find a real quality person that you can trust. Uh, Overinvest in the people that, that you can trust and that do really great things for your game. Um, because think about this 99-1 rule here. 90% um, of your players are going to consume content in a drive-by. 9% will regularly check in and lurk. And 1% will create the content that the other 99% consumes. So the more that you, the bigger that your 1% is, the more of your 99% you can support. Um, and we're going to get into some different influencer types later, but you want to support all the various influencer types because they're going to support various different types of your 99%. <clears throat> Um, all right, well, why players quit? Number three, got this pretty outrageous graphic here. Um, but so they start out engaged and they either get bored or they run into some sort of issue and they get frustrated. Now, I think that um, frustration, solving the frustration problem is relatively easy um, by either changing the game um, or leveraging a customer support to compensate someone um, or revert something back or something like that. So if there's a frustration, it's relatively easy to fix. Um, I guess my expertise comes more into the what if somebody gets bored. Uh, oh, whoops, these are the frustrations. Um, okay, so I'll talk a little bit about these, but like, um, Let's see, buyer's remorse is something I, 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 I want to just focus on as, as the only one here on this slide. But like uh, lately, I feel like the um, number of in-app purchases within a game are really like, blowing up for free-to-play mid to hardcore genre. There's just so many options. And it's really frustrating when I spend $50 and I blow through the currency. And then I realize, hmm. Maybe I should have bought this other thing. <laughs> and it's like, uh, okay, maybe I can like handle that like one or two times. But like, if it keeps happening, if there's so many options and it's hard to really narrow down like what purchase is the best for me and then helps me make great progress, uh, then I'm probably gonna go find a game that's easier for me to spend money in and feel good about myself and um, not feel guilty for spending that. And I feel like I didn't get the enjoyment out of it because like, I feel like there's sort of like this low key, like we're going to give them all these options and let people choose uh, for like what they need, um, but not be like super clear about what would be best. And then like, if they make the wrong purchases, that's kind of good for us. It's like more profit margin or something. And like, I don't know, that's just kind of how it feels as a player sometimes. one uh, here so 
when we're talking about a player getting bored and how do we re-engage re them into the game, these are some different ways that they can be re-engaged. Um, from the community perspective, uh, this is what I see. Some of these ideas I want to touch on that are like so important. So an influencer that you like is still playing that second bullet point there under social. Um, like, uh, it's like <laughs> the fact that like uh, Dr. Disrespect like still plays PUBG makes me want to go play PUBG. You know, like when uh, Shroud goes back and like plays Apex Legends like in a new update, I'm like, oh, shoot, that looks pretty sick. Maybe I should go play uh, Apex again. Um, but in the case of those YouTubers, if they never go back to that original game that they started out on, you know, I, you know, I trusted them, I followed them, and and I I'm gonna follow them where they're going next. So, um, yeah, and uh, in a lot of cases in the communities that we build, we see uh, people that run into these like life barriers at the bottom right here, like they run out of money or they run out of time, like they have a kid or they're like getting married or something. And so they take like a couple weeks off or like a month off and then they come back and they're like, uh, it's been like, I haven't been able to play, but I've been hanging out in the community that you guys created. If it, if, it was, if you guys weren't still here, I probably wouldn't play again. But like, like I'm following with like all these things that are coming out and it's making me like, I've been always wanting to play. I just didn't have the time. So uh, yeah, it's awesome. We see that happen a lot. Another like social reason that somebody might uh, come back or, or remain playing in your game, like getting re-engaged after getting bored. Uh, we got a story from our director of uh, community development. And he says, when he was playing World of Warcraft many years ago, uh, he'd been playing for a while, him and his friends. Um, his friends kind of got bored and fell off the game. And you know, he was still playing, paying $15 a month, kind of wondering like, I like the game, but I don't know, there's nothing that's really, uh, you know, really holding me in here right now. I think I'm going to think I'm going to quit. Um, and then his one of the leaders in his alliance or in his guild reaches out to him and says, offers him a leader leadership position. And he's like, hey, you know, you've been really dedicated. You've been here a long time. Why don't you come lead with me? And um, you got super excited. He's like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, like I still like the game. I just didn't really have a reason to stay. Now I have responsibility. Um, now I have people depending on me and um, um, yeah, so this is this is great. I'll keep playing. And the the leader didn't offer that to him because he was going to leave. It just kind of happened one day. And now even many years later, he still plays the game. Super engaged in the most recent update for a while. Uh, excited for him uh, to experience that. Okay, let's look at another point here. Um, yeah, so like... Um, I've talked a little bit about, let's see, bullet point four under social, like you get connected to an entertaining community outside the game. Um, like I, I joined a game recently, I really wanted to play an MMO on mobile, really big game that just came out and got in um, to uh, just join an alliance. And then within like um, five days, like the like a, half the alliance was vacant the leader hadn't logged in in 48 hours and I'm just sitting there like, this is so bummed. I'm so bummed out. Like I want to, I want to get involved in this game, but like, there's no, like I need to find another way to do it. Cause like, it's really hard to find an active Alliance in game. So first thing I do is I go to the discord because you can't really, it's hard to like find, it's hard to be like, go on Reddit and be like, Hey, who's in, you know, so-and-so Alliance and can I join it? And so-and-so server, uh, it's hard for that like to really get penetration on Reddit when there's so much content out there. So I'll get, go to the Discord and I'll, I'll ask around and try to get into find a leader who's really engaged and trying to build a strong team. And and that's how I really find a place inside of a game. So don't underestimate those. Even encourage players to um, go into Discord and uh, you know find or connect with players. Maybe don't say find an active alliance, but <laughs> I think we've all experienced the problem where it's if you don't do a game with friends, if you go in solo, it's very difficult to find like a dedicated active alliance. And but it makes such a difference though. So 
whether or not you want to keep playing because it helps you really achieve the goals and you know that there's a lot of elements you can't even experience in the game if you don't have an active alliance okay so the pitfall here um, in preventing players from quitting is that you don't have access uh, um, okay cool got a warning that we got a lot of questions I'll hurry up. <laughs> um, so the pitfall here is that we, you don't have access to like enough player perspectives uh, or the will to listen to them. And then, th so what happens is like, if you have that crew of influencers supporting you, reactive and proactive feedback, um, then you will be able to identify very quickly why players are trying to fall off or issues that they're having that might not just be general like the ones I mentioned, but very specific to your game. All right, number four, um, the key to player retention, nurturing relationships between your players. Uh, I've really talked about it a lot already. Um, this is a beautiful picture of uh, one of our team members on the right there, the lady, Carol, and her daughter, Izzy, and her boyfriend, Sal. And they met in Game of War like five years ago, six years ago, and their child is now one year old, and they still play. And Carol is on our team. She's been working with us for two and a half years. And she knows every whale in the game. She knows every detail about the game. And she's constantly informing the developers about things they never even knew about, they've never heard of, um, that are going on behind the scenes. So um, yeah, when you're, when you're wanting to nurture those relationships, um, try uh, the pitfall is like relying too much on like oh well our game has a chat and it has an alliance system um i think that that's like there's often not a lot of effort and those things can be broken like so for example like if you're like that story of that game where i'm in the alliance and like the people go inactive and i want to switch well i'm actually penalized for leaving and i can't join an alliance for a period of time and like, I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, come on, you gotta understand that like this happens all the time, especially early game. And there shouldn't really be any penalties until like the late game in terms of the Alliance. So utilize some um, external tools like Discord, Line, or Slack. Yes, I've heard Slack being used as fan communities in game, pretty interesting. Um, so you're not in the business of making chat tools, um, some angles to look at this. You know, you're in the business of making games um, so leverage chat tools where you can. Um, the in-game chat can be relatively like busy, like, oh, this person like recruited a four-star whatever, five-star whatever, beat this level or achieve this accomplishment. Um, and there's just like all this stuff going on. It's, I don't know, it's kind of in the way. Um, the third angle is like you want people to connect even while they can't play the game. So like, you know, they're at work, they're probably not gonna get in trouble for like being on Discord necessarily, but if they're like actually playing a game, that's gonna be an issue. Um, same thing at home, sometimes you're like with kids or, or with, you know, your spouse and um, you can't, you wanna connect to the game, you wanna connect to your team, but you can't be in the game. So they'll leverage these outside tools. Um, or they wanna share things like links or videos or pictures and, and build relationships. And uh, it's difficult to do that in a game. Most games don't let you do that. So that's what um, you know. those tools are really great for. All right, number five, finding and rewarding key community members. We could just say influencers here. Um, I'm only gonna cover the last two because you know content creators, you know leaders, you know socializers. But VIPs um, are very influential as trendsetters and idols within the community. If we have a we have line rooms of 500 people, and you know whenever the whale, whenever there's a VIP in there saying, "Look at this new strategy I just tried," or "Look at this new feature I just purchased," and how good it is, then like everyone's like, "Man, I want that! I want that!" You know, and they just idolize these guys, and they want to be on their team. They want to be associated to them. They want to be praised by them. So um, definitely want to have relationships right, with all these guys. I've talked about that crew. This is all the people you want in your crew. Um, the very, the, I think the one that's most overlooked is your ninjas. They're, they're like quiet. They don't talk in, in the community very often, but they're like always a top-ranked player. 
and they're just so good at your game. And people know about him. They're like, who is that guy? Like, he's in the room. He doesn't really talk. They try to talk to him. Sometimes they'll talk, but he's just like wicked smart. Might even have a totally different style than a lot of people. Um, definitely pay attention to those guys. The pitfall with uh, uh, finding and rewarding influencers is choosing the wrong players to support. Um, this is like, this is tricky when um, you, um, yeah, this is, this is tricky when there's there's people who are really influential or maybe spend a lot of money in your game and you want their feedback, but you can't bundle those players. You can't bundle those guys with with other like more healthy players in your crew. Like they'll really just dominate and take over and, and ruin ruin the environment. So you know it's really a don't support those players. Um, here's like the type of qualities that you want to look for when you're supporting. Number one is like encouraging and like if someone's encouraging, it's really like an indicator of so many other things like they're going to be friendly, relational, helpful. Um, so encouraging is kind of the number one thing you want to look for. Then, of course, trustworthy, because if you're going to get proactive feedback or you're going to be communicating with them, you want them to be trusted. Um, and then third, knowledgeable. And, they, you know, you want them to for sure know more about your game than you do, at least in some areas um, or know far more about your community or player base than you do. And that happens all the time. Like, don't be surprised by that. That's for sure there. There's like this quote that's like, the only time you know more about your game is is before it launches. And the same is true with your community. The only time you know more about your community is before it launches. Um, okay, so yeah, the two most important and useful things you can do for your players are nurturing relationships with them between players and offering them great guides. Because as gamers, we want to progress. We want to be better. We want to be better than the next person. We want to learn. Um, we want to stay up to date with the meta. We don't want to fall behind. Guides solve a lot of those problems. Um, number six is just how transparency and authenticity builds trust. So uh, I think like a key takeaway here is going to be this, this sentence here on the top. When your players don't feel listened to, their natural inclination is going to be to try and shout louder and louder and louder and be more ridiculous and say more extreme things than uh, the last time. Because what typically happens is if they get extreme enough, then they start to get a response. And then you're like, oh, okay, so that's what it takes to get a response. And then you're reinforcing this negative behavior. So um, one of the you know recommendations I have is if you see um, – the way to don't address like all the negative feedback individually because you're reinforcing negative behavior, but respond to complaints like kind of as a general like blog post somewhere and, and not just responding, but like as an update to the game, as you're changing things, be like, Hey, we noticed players, you know, weren't that happy with this. So we changed it like this. Here's our intention be really specific about that and be transparent. Um, and I think that will prevent a lot of this like extreme toxicity these are the steps if you have extreme toxicity to take admitting your mistake it's just like any relationship you know uh with your spouse you're going to admit your mistakes you're going to validate her feelings and then you're going to show a commitment to change uh treat, treat your don't minimize your players feelings like they're there and they're just like anyone else that you know so some classic examples are like machine zone will send you know an in-game mail and address a problem hey we know this is a problem um you know, we notice it has affected you. We sincerely apologize. And as a token of our appreciation, um, we've given you some supplies. So that's like the classic one. Like at a bare minimum, you got you got to do that. This is like an example of a resolution for a frustration. And then the other one is, um, this is with uh, the Seven Deadly Sins Grand Cross. They have this big blog post uh, that I can send the link out to, but it's really cool. It happened like two months into the game. And they kind of made a, a big mistake with an event um, in order to achieve a certain goal. And they acknowledge here that their, their main focus was to increase player satisfaction, but they failed and that they were monitoring forum and social media and realized people were disappointed and they really apologize and they're going to take a whole bunch of steps and they like have this massive post of all these steps they're going to do to gain people's trust back and not cause disappointment in future updates. So good example of listening and, and um, committing to change. So I mentioned this already. Don't minimize um, your mistakes. 
uh, that is like the detriment um, to any relationship. Um, just accept it. It's okay. People will forgive you if they like your game and they just want things to be better. They just want change. That's it. So I understand it's difficult, um, mainly when you have to like make a big pivot. Um, but if you have this crew of influencers and they really help you inform your decisions and give you ideas, then I think um, you can do it successfully. All right. Thank you for listening. Um, I guess we have questions. I sorry that we don't have enough time. I'll try to answer some, but feel free to leave some questions um, on our Gamer Speak LinkedIn. I have a post about the conference, and I'd love to answer them there as well. Oh, it was great, man. I'm gonna Andy's gonna run and get our next session ready. So I'm gonna scroll up and start going through this. Um, uh, let's see, and keep in mind, everybody, that uh, we've got the discord channel as well sorry i'm cleaning up my uh, my streaming materials so from the discord how do you go about building that initial community yeah i'd recommend um i i love to recommend discord um or line um something where you can chat with people very quickly and and, and fast um and where you can kind of segregate different interests of people um so I'm not really sure what at what stage this person is saying initial community, but I think le leveraging the you know the earliest players that you have and what Proletariat recommends in their article on 12 lessons they learned in their pre-alpha is forcing people who want to play your game to be in the Discord in a pre-alpha phase, even through beta. They, if they want to play, they got to be in your Discord or heavily incentivize it. I love that. So the next one from uh, Samori79 on Twitch. What's your opinion on developer-made social spaces when it comes to fostering a community of players? To clarify, developers nowadays tend to rely on pre-established social media, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit. When it comes to their communities, built-in social elements like chat rooms are often left featureless or even non-existent. For small developers, is it worth it to put dev time into back-end social features when social media already exists? Nah, I made this point in my presentation, like leverage the chat tools you have. There, there's just no way that you can build the, It's. I don't think it's worth building the tools. I think it's worth just using the other tools really well and, and using and leveraging the advantages they have. And from Zybergod on Twitch, what's a good way to welcome in good community players? Yeah, I think just talk to them like, remember you're going to force the social connection and then when they get in there and you notice somebody that is wow this person's smart wow this person's thorough this person's encouraging you know send them a dm and say hey thank you so much for um you know being so involved in our community it's so helpful it's very meaningful to us um you know reach out if you have you know any issues or or whatever and, and start to kind of vet that person to see if you want them in your crew so from Nightwolf, how different are the steps between getting an influencer to play your game and sponsoring an influencer? Does in-game versus monetary payment differ depending on which route you go to get an influencer? Yeah, um, I, what I've liked is like public programs that are like, uh, if you are an influencer that gets to like, is creating content and you have like this many subs or something, like we can give you some in-game currency and it's sort of like this, very like transparent, like we want to support you playing the game. We we understand the value that we provide and you can give them some in-game currency there. And then also just having the relationship, like treat them as a VIP, you know, give them a relationship with somebody on your team and say, reach out to us if there's anything urgent that you want to talk about. I think that's like the most casual way to do it. But I think take it a step further. If some if you think that losing that person is going to be a huge detriment to your game, then try to go as far as you can to sponsor them you know feature them in your game feature them on your discord do an interview with them like yeah make them successful the the other big part of that is it doesn't cost you any money to give them in-game currency whereas it you know real world currency gets expensive but especially for smaller devs you know you're gonna yeah. be if the influencer is open to it you're yeah. much better off giving them in -game we, we, we talked about this like this is sort of a challenge like um, but like in the case of, I gave some examples of like ones that you absolutely cannot lose. I think it's worth paying them money if you absolutely can't lose someone.
So how do you actually, how do you find out why a player actually quit? Yeah. Uh, I think the best way is to have that crew of influencers that are connected to like hundreds of players and, and they know why people are quitting. They just, because they're in the community reading the chat and, you know, and they get to know those people, I think, you know, that's the best way to do like exit surveys. No one's going to really answer an exit survey via an email or something, but, but that's the way that we have the most success. Just saying people are really leaving because of this frustration, if it doesn't get resolved or people have left because of this frustration and they continue to, um, yeah. Good question. All right, so we got time for one more and then we're going to get to our, our next speaker. But mm -hmm. you know, regarding in-app purchases, is it better to put the lower priced in-app purchases out front or the $100 ones? Because lately I've been seeing a lot of apps pushing the $100 ones. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that's a great question. I, I, um, I guess I don't. So a couple of thoughts is like people I don't think aren't, as they're, they're getting really comfortable with seeing um, expensive purchases, like $100 purchases. Um, but I feel like there's some data on your game that's really gonna tell you like what it is. And if you can have like responsivity to that, that's great. I think I see the, 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 the larger percent of the player base is gonna engage more with sales, packs that are on sale. So those tend to be first, um, even if they're, yeah, those tend to be first. Those tend to be the ones I engage with most and I hear about players engaging with most is like that's something they like. It goes on sale. It's in the front. You know, they they want to buy it. And Nightwolf, part of that could be because for the last eight months, there's been a lot more people buying that $100 option. And so, you know, from mm -hmm. the publisher standpoint or from the developer standpoint, you know, as long as the rest of the payment options are out there and available and the player doesn't know that it doesn't does know that it's not necessarily a hundred hundred dollars or nothing. Why not push the hundred dollar option? I mean, you've got it in there and obviously right now people are paying it. So, uh, yeah, give them and the option. The other thing besides a sale, Jay, I would say that is like the relevance. Like if it's like, Hey, this is, you just hit level 40 and this is our level 40 sale. I'm like, I, those are like always a huge pull for me. Um, like I feel like I earned it and and this sale is especially good for me at this stage in the game. A, a good um, example of that is, is Gems of War. And I've been playing that a lot lately. Mm -hmm. lately. And it's like when you get to a new zone or you yeah. clear it, it's like, oh, well, here's this weapon that's specifically for this zone. Do you want to buy it for 10 bucks? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, it's not the bear one. I only want the bear one. That's all I want. Oh, Chad, thank you so much for, for coming and sharing some of this knowledge. And, and any of you out there have more questions, you know, that you want to pick his brain about, uh, I assure you that his team does good work and they know their stuff. Uh, go to our Discord. It's discord.gg slash indie game business. And you can ask any of the 2000 some other industry professionals that are in there and Chad questions about community management and building. And I just popped a link up earlier to um, <laughs> actually, you're right. We do have time for one more question, Chad, no, yeah. a capable community manager who helped you build this presentation. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. I, I think his name rhymes with the same name that I just saw pop up on screen there. Uh, I, I'm sure, you know, I'm actually impressed that it took him this long to get in here and start, start roasting at you. So, oh, um, yeah. oh but, I, should, I, I, I'll, I'll throw out his name. I mean, you could look it up, but you know, Casey. Yeah. He's on our LinkedIn. He did, did a great job. Really helped me with a lot of things on this. No doubt. All right. So if um, if you got more questions on community management, we also now, uh, thanks to, to Sri, have our entire YouTube list organized. So you can literally go to the Discord and type dash community and you'll get this whole big old playlist that comes up from, you know, 150 some episodes of the show that we've been doing. But with that, Chad, thank you so much for stopping by. 
So mm -hmm. the stream's going to go down for a moment, and then it's going to pop back up with Carly from Night Dive Studios speaking on something that's very important at the moment, mental health and working remote, and how she has managed as Night Dive's community manager to keep in touch with not only the community, but with her team, and to make sure that everybody's doing okay. Um, so yeah, we'll be back in just a minute. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.